Psalm 119, verse number 2, says, Blessed are they that keep His testimonies and that seek Him with the whole heart. Now, let's go down to verse number 9, and we'll read through 11. Wherewithal shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. With my whole heart have I sought thee. Oh, let me not wander from thy commandments. Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. Now, uh, throughout this particular chapter, this psalm, if you will, you'll find references to the word of God throughout. Um, you'll, you'll see words, testimony, uh, commandment. You'll see different words that are all referencing back uh, to the Bible or to the Word of God, if you will. Uh, but I love verse number 9. He asked the question, how, if you will, if I could paraphrase, how can a young man cleanse his way? And he answers that. He said, by taking heed thereto according to thy word. If you, young men, if you want to cleanse your way, take heed to the Word of God. Uh, verse number 2, he says, Blessed are they that keep his testimonies and that seek him with the whole heart. And so here, the, I, I, I picture there's at least two references to the Word of God, the testimonies, but then it says, though, that, uh, that seek him. John chapter number 1, uh, verse number 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. So him is the Word. We see there in verse number 9, thy word. Verse number 10, he says, My whole heart have assault thee. Let me not wander from thy commandments. But verse number 11, now verse number 2 really is our text, but I need to say this in verse number 11, Thy word have I hid in mine heart that I might not sin against thee. And I was looking at this word hid, H-I-D. We all understand that. I don't know that any of us never played hide and seek. Probably all of us. I'd be willing to play right now if we could stay in the light. Okay, I don't want to get in the graveyard back there, but if we stay in the light, I'll hide for you. But the word hide, it is to hoard or to reserve or to protect. And so the, the, the psalmist says, I want to hoard the Word of God. I want to reserve the Word of God. Reserve, not preserve. Those could could be interchangeable in this meaning. But then also to protect. What I have, I want to protect. I don't, I don't want to, I don't, Brother Jody, was it you I was talking to this week? Maybe, I don't, maybe it was Brother Kurt, I don't remember. But we was talking about what we put in our minds should always outweigh the worldliness that we put in our minds. Does that make sense? Um, I, I've been convicted for a while now about memorizing Scripture, and I've always used my own personality traits as an excuse. And I've said, well, I just have a bad memory, so I can't really remember Scripture. And every time I say that, whether publicly or privately, God pricks my heart. And He says, the reason you're not memorizing Scripture is because you're not reading the Scripture like you ought to. You're not putting it in. And so the things that you are putting in, the things you see on the television or on the computer or the people you're around or the words that you read, even from commentaries, sometimes if you replace commentaries, 
if, if you replace the Word of God with commentaries, then guess what? Those are good things, but they're not the Word of God. You, you'll likely begin to memorize what, what Charles Spurgeon or what um, R.A. Torrey may have said, something like that, but the Word of God. So he says, I want to hoard the Word of God. But then he says, in mine heart, which is the center of the soul, the very center of, of who we are is where we need to put this Word of God. So, with all of that said, I wanna, I wanna preach on this thought tonight, blessings of God's Word. Now, if you were tonight to take out your smartphone or, or open your laptop somewhere, uh, you could Google or you could do an internet search for the best selling book of all time. That's the phrase. Best selling book of all time. We've all heard it for years and years. We've heard that the Bible is the number one uh, seller for for decades, for years. So uh, if you were to begin to search this, you'd find several lists. And you find really that the number one spot uh, is usually always the same. It is Don Quixote. That is the number one seller of all time, listen to this, according to these lists. According to these lists, it's over 500 million copies. Keep that, keep that number in mind. 500 million. However, you would also find that in those lists, in those top five lists, the Bible is not mentioned one time. Nowhere in those top 30s, top 20s, top 50s, nowhere in any of those lists will you find the Bible listed. However, back in 1995, uh, the Guinness World Record, uh, they published their findings that in 1995, the most read, the most dispersed, the most sold book of all time is the Word of God, the Bible. And the number is over 5 billion copies of God's Word that have been sold. The closest that we find, the closest that we find is 800 million books, and that's the Quran, Quran, Quran that's the, the Muslim book. I had it, I could say it at the house. The next one that we find, religiously speaking, is the Book of Mormon. Now, so we come from the Bible, 5 billion, the Koran, 800 million, and then Don Quixote at 500 million. So, I don't know that we'll ever see any secular book, or for that matter, any other uh, religious book, overtake the Bible. It's been translated, it's the most translated book in the world. And in most of those languages, it is the most dispersed book of that language. So if it is in Spanish, if you begin to do this search for Spanish books, that's what you'll find as the, the most sold book, if you will. Now, there's a lot of other books that have sold millions of copies. None of them have reached billions. A lot of other books have sold millions of copies. But there's only one, and it's, it's evidenced in this over 5 billion now from 1995. It's evidenced that only one has the life-changing power of God's Word. 
It does not matter today who you are uh, for all intents and purposes, I would say that that nearly 80%, this is just my own numbers, I would say nearly 80 to 85% of every home has more than one Bible in their house. I could be wrong in that, it, 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 especially in the way that our country is now, it could be a lot less than that. But William Evans said this, the Bible is not merely a book, it is the book. It is the book that from the importance of its subjects, subjects, the wideness of its range, the majesty of its author, stands as high above all other books as the heaven is high above the earth. It'll never be overcome. It'll never be overreached. That is the word of God. And so with that, we, we kind of, we kind of jump into the message tonight, uh, with just a, a few more points by way of introduction. We know that, uh, of course, we're in Psalms, but we know that in our King James Bible, the first five books are written by who? Somebody tell me. Moses. These are written by Moses, but do you realize that the first command to write The first command to write was in Exodus chapter number 17, verse number 14. Moses had just been on the mountain. Matter of fact, he's still on the mountain when this happens. He's sitting on a rock. Aaron is on one side, Hur is on the other side. And when Moses lifts up his hands, Israel prevails against Amalek. Amalek is the grandson of Esau and he is a type of the flesh. And as he is lifting up his hands, uh, we can picture that in praise to God, God's people begins to be victorious. And they, Bible says that they discomfited Amalek. And so they destroyed them. And in verse number 14, God told Moses to write this for a memorial in a book. And he told him to do this. This is uh, uh, Exodus 17, verse 14. Write this for memorial in a book and rehearse it in the ears of Joshua, for I will utterly put out the remembrance of Amalek from under heaven. So I feel like there's three reasons why God began to tell Moses to write. Now, some would argue that he was talking about just that particular instance, but I believe that that is where God's inspiration to write those first five books of the Bible came from. But I believe that we can find here uh, that he wrote it for a memorial. He wrote it to rehearse it, and he wrote it to remember it. And if I've been helping Braylon in some of her schoolwork and, and she's, uh, she's, she's been lax in a, a couple of things, especially spelling and vocabulary words. And, uh, her mom was teaching her one way and I'm old school and I didn't get taught that way. And so I'm like, here, look here, uh, starting January, when you get back to work, this is what you're going to do. You are going to write them multiple times. Mama only makes me write them one time. No, honey, Mama ain't here right now. Y'all know what I'm saying. So when Mama ain't here, what we going to do is we going to write them three, four, and five times. Now, I don't know how y'all were, but I had a problem talking in school. 
And, and I know y'all don't believe that, but I had a problem, Samuel. And so what would happen when I would get caught talking, especially when we were dealing in English and we were dealing with reading and things like that, we had to write sentences. And we had to write them over and over. And the teacher always said, just say the sentence was, I will not talk in class. Write it 50 times or until you know the rule that you will not talk in class. That's one reason why God told Moses to write this for a memorial in the book. To memorialize it, but also to, what was it? To rehearse it so that he could remember it himself, but then also so that others could remember it. And so we have the Word of God, and we see from this first mention, if you will, to write the book, that there is an importance of the Scripture. For a moment, I want to read, or I want to look just at three things. Uh, this is not the outline, but we'll see these three things in the outline. Uh, we see the Bible's function, we see the Bible's effects, and we see the Bible's promise. Number one, I want us to notice over in the book of Hebrews, chapter number four. Uh, Hebrews chapter number four. Uh, I was talking to Brother Kurt last night, and uh, Brother Kurt, I'm not stealing anything from you. I assure you, but I am going to make mention of a verse that we talked about last night. First, I want us to see that it is enlivening in its contact. In Hebrews chapter 4, verse number 12, it says, For the word of God is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, and of the joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. And so we see that first of all, the Word of God is enlivening in its contact. We see this by this little word, quick. We see... We, we know that in Ephesians chapter number 2, and you hath he quickened. And we always say that he's made us alive. So what does this word quick mean? It means that one is alive. It means that he has life. If we can keep it in the context tonight, for the word of God is alive. The word of God has life. This is, this is not only the breathed word of God. This is the breathing Word of God. It is alive tonight. In John chapter number 6, verse number 63, uh, it says, It is the Spirit that quickeneth. Listen to that. It is the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. And so it may seem off-putting to hear uh, the preacher say in verse number 12 of Hebrews that the Word of God is quick or the Word of God is alive. And then reference back to John chapter number 6 verse 63 and just read that first part that the Spirit quickeneth. Well, if you continue to read, as I mentioned, uh, the end of that verse says that the words that I'm speaking unto you are spirit and they are life. And so one touch of the Word of God in your life, and your life will be forever changed. 
You don't don't believe me? I believe when in Matthew, when it talks about the worm dieth not, I'm not going to preach on that tonight, but I've I've heard a lot of different things about that. But I kind of wonder tonight about that worm dieth not might be the memory of the words of God that you've heard, maybe that you've read, or, or maybe that you've seen lived out in other... The Apostle Paul said that you are the epistles written and read of all men. And so you and I, as we walk to and fro in this life, we are the epistles of God, and we are being read by people that do not come to this church. I wonder tonight, what are they reading in our lives? And as such, then we must wonder tonight how that when someone sees our life and hopefully we're living a righteous and an upright life, a life in their eyes, it makes me wonder if they reject Christ and they die and go to hell, will they remember the life that you lived and will that be a worm that consumes them? Will they say, I remember Jim. I remember him telling me at the work site. I remember him telling me over at Shivers that I needed to get some things right. I remember him offering to pray with me. I remember him offering to pray for my family member that was sick or that had just died. I wonder, I wonder if there's any truth in the fact tonight that that worm that dieth not, that continues to torment, might be a memory of the Word of God. One touch of the Word of God and it'll change your life. I wish I could stand up here tonight and say most and use the word most or use the word the majority of people that heard the Word of God got saved. But um, I really believe tonight that it is exact opposite. I believe that the people that the, the, the majority of the people that hear the Word of God, are rejecting God. I believe that's one why, one reason why was it wasn't in Matthew that wrote that straight is the gate, narrow is the way. But then he said, but, but broad, broad is the way, wide is the gate that leadeth to destruction. I believe, I believe, I believe God knows that there's going to be a lot more people going to hell than there are going to heaven. So, I wish I could say that most people, most people would hear and believe on God's Word, but that's not so. But for those, if we could say it like this, for for the minority that does hear the Word of God and that does believe the Word of God, I want you to know tonight that there is an enlivening touch in its contact. When that word of God begins to come into you, I even got it wrote down here. It's one thing uh, to get in the word. It's altogether different when the word of God gets into you. And I believe that's the contact that we're talking about tonight. If the word of God can truly get into us, it'll change us. It'll make us alive. He says the word of God is quick. It's powerful. He said it's dividing the soul and the spirit. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. Number two, it is enlightening in operation. Let's turn back to the book of Psalms. In Psalm number 19 now, we'll read a few verses. Psalm 19, verse number 7 
and verse number 8. Y'all still with me on this Wednesday night? All right. The law of the Lord is perfect. Now, you remember what I told you about, about Psalm 19, that there's many references to the Word of God. We gave you a few of those examples. So keep that in mind as we look here in verse number 7 and 8. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul, the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandments of the Lord, the commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. So we see tonight that this word of God is enlightening in operation. Let's look first of all, number seven, verse number seven says the law of the Lord. This word law, it is the direction or the teaching of God. It is the direction or the teaching. What did he say over here? See if I could find it real quick. I don't even know if I wrote it down. But he says, in, in conjunction with this, Thy word have I hid in mine heart. He says that I will make it a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. So why would he do that? Because there is a direction in it. There's a direction in the law of God. But then he says this about this direction of the Lord or this teaching of the Lord in verse number 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. This word perfect, I, I thought this was kind of strange. It means whole, complete, or plain. I thought, hmm. Okay, whole, complete, or plain. I feel like we understand whole. It's it's not part of it. It's not just, it's not too little. It's not too much. It's complete. There's nothing missing. But this word plain, it, it is that which nothing is needed to improve. Now let that sink in just a minute. We're talking about the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. So if the operation is to convert the soul by the law of the Lord, he said it is plain. There is nothing needed to improve. It is without disguise. It is clear. Oh my goodness gracious. What about that being the word of God that we have? You don't need to add to it. You don't need to doctor it up. Has anybody ever had a bad steak or some bad piece of chicken? It's dry as a bone. Man, you're putting A1. You're putting some Something on. Don't need any of that. It's complete. It's whole, but it's plain. There's no need for anything else. No need. And, and I believe even today, it was so in Paul's day, but I believe even today in 2021, folks are trying their best to make the Word of God better. And it'll never happen because it's already complete. It's already whole and it's plain. It is, there is no need. There's one, there is no need for improvement, but there is nothing that could be added to improve it. Did you get that? That's two different things. And tonight I'm thankful that that is the word of God that we have. It is enlightening in its operation. 
It's needed to convert the soul. The next phrase here, it says in the end of verse number 7, he says, thy testimony is of the Lord is sure. And I'd like to take a minute to talk about testimony, but I want to, I want to try to hurry, but it says making the wise simple. Making wise, excuse me, making wise the simple. In other words, those, those things that are so hard to understand, God makes them simple. Now there's still going to be things that you just, you say, well that's God. I can't explain it. That's God. There's no, no sense in trying to explain it. But how that a God in heaven could send His only begotten Son for you and I to die in our place, to give us eternal life. That is something that is far beyond my comprehension. But God makes it simple. Mm. God makes it simple tonight because He says that all we have to do is believe. You don't have to explain it. You don't have to research it. You don't have to dig down to the very bottom of it. Just believe it. Just believe it. That's all you got to do. He says it makes the, it makes wise the simple. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 1, verse number 21, verse 23, and verse 25, it says this. Verse 21 says, for after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that Believe. What do you reckon that preaching is? That preaching is telling the old, old story of Christ. Amen. Verse number 23 says, But we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews, it was a stumbling block. And he says, Unto the Greeks, foolishness. He said, Christ crucified. The Jews could not understand it. They tripped over it. They couldn't stand on their own two feet. It made absolutely no sense. And to the Greeks, the most learned people in the world at this time, they thought it was just foolishness. He's just another man. I'm Look here. I'm glad he was not just another man. Amen. I'm glad tonight that he was God and he was man. And because He was God and man, He was able to endure the cross. He was able to despise the shame. He was able to look for the joy that was set before Him. I'm glad tonight that because He was man, He was tempted in all points like as we are. But because He was God's Son like as we are, yet without sin. I'm glad tonight that he was not just another man. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1 verse 25 now, because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. We're not going to understand it. It does not, I'm telling you, and and I don't want you to take me wrong, but it does not understand for any preacher to get up here and to read a few verses and yell at you for 30, 45 minutes and trying to get you to understand this. Why couldn't we just send out a memo and go to the house? Because God didn't call a memo. God called preachers to preach Christ crucified. Amen. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse number 19. For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God. For it is written, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. The wise in this world, 
They are fools in the sight of God. The end of that verse says, He taketh the wise in their own craftiness. I I picture a game of chess. I'm not smart enough to play chess. Anybody can play that? I don't know. You can play it? I knew you could play it. You just look smart. You can play it? Well, you fooled me. You didn't look all that smart, but I'm going to go with you, Samuel. Somebody else, I think, might have raised their hand. You, Hey, Miss Sam. Miss Sam can play. I'm going to be nice. That, that game's too smart for me. I tried, I tried on my computer to play it, and a little voice on there came on and said, okay, it's your go. And so, I mean, I've been playing checkers all my life, so I moved one of them little things, the little horsey-looking thing, and whatever it was, Miss Lee, I couldn't, wasn't supposed to move that one at the time. Well, you should have told me that. So, I, something happened, I don't even remember. So I've tried my best to move all these little things, you got to move them at the right time. you got to move them at the right place. There's rules for certain pieces. The rules for other pieces don't apply to this one. This one can do whatever he or she wants to do. I'm not smart enough for that. But there are some folks that they live their life like a chess game. And they move their pieces, they move their lives in ways that are very wise and and very smart. And they're able to, to make decisions based upon their own wisdom and their own craftiness. But God takes men in their own craftiness. Any wisdom that we have without God. This is going to sound so simple. And, and I'm sorry to be so silly with this. But any wisdom that we have on our own without God is wisdom that we have on our own without God. And I'm not a smart man. But I I, I would rather be, I'd rather be dumb in most people's eyes but have godly wisdom than to be considered a genius in this world and not know God and not have a desire for His Word. The simple are made wise. The statutes, trying my best to hurry. The statutes, look at the next verse somewhere. What verse was it? Eight. I was looking at nine. Thank you. The statutes of the Lord are right. This word statutes It is the word charges or precepts. Precepts are commands. So I was looking at this word charges. And this, it, it, the dictates of God, the direction of God, if you will, the commands of God is what he says here. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. Rejoicing is making glad the heart. And the Bible says that the stat, the charges, the very dictates of God, they are right and they make happy the heart of the believer. How can we know this? Psalm 1 verse 2. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth he meditate day and night. David himself testified that the statutes of God makes his heart rejoice. He delighteth 
in the law of the Lord. Psalm 119, verse number 16. It says this, I will delight myself in thy statutes. I will not forget thy word. I love what he says here. He didn't, he didn't say, thy statutes delight me. I will delight myself in thy statutes. I don't know how you are. Sometimes I get down in the dumps or I call them mully grubs. And I, I get the mully grubs and I'm like, you know what? I, I need, <laughs> I'm sorry. I need ice cream. That'll make me feel better. Or I need, I don't know. I need a, I need a good meal somewhere. Or I need to, I need to call so and so on the phone. I let them cheer me up. David said, listen boys, when, when I'm down, when I'm discouraged, and if anybody had, had issues with depression, it was old brother David. One psalm he was on, on high and on the next, he would want to kill somebody or be killed. I mean, he was all kinds of messed up. But he says, boys, listen, I'm, I'm a little tore up today. And so I'm just going to get in God's word. How many of us, when we get discouraged and get depressed, we stay away from God's word? We stay out of God's word because there's so many things in there that can convict us. But David said, I am going to delight myself in thy word. Boy, what a good, mm, what a good. Just to delight ourselves in God's word. He says, thy, thy statutes are right. Then he says, and I done messed my thing up over here in Psalm 19. Psalm 19. There's Job. Have they moved chapter 19? Look with me at verse number 8. The statutes of the Lord are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. I told you this was enlightening in its operation. This word commandment, it again, it means the precepts or the commands of God. It says that they are pure. It just said in verse number 8 that the, that the statutes of the Lord, Lord are right. Then the commandment, singular, of the Lord is pure. God's word is sure. And, and, and this, just, this just hit me. Mainly because I've been going through English with Braylon, and, and, and I believe, and, and I'm not smart enough to even remember how how the book said it today, but the 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 noun and the verb have to match in number. Am I right, Leah? If there's two nouns, then it is are. If there's one, then it is is. And so, if you look, it says the statutes plural of the Lord are. Right? But here it says the commandment, singular, of the Lord is pure. I wonder why it says the commandment. I wonder if it could be because there will never be another word of God. He's given us the word of God. Strong, sure, steadfast, and everlasting. God's word is sure. My, my daddy was one of those, like many of you grew up with, when daddy spoke, you listened. When he told you to do, you did. I was scared of my mother too. Still am just a little bit because she's that far from being crazy. Don't believe me? Make her mad one day. But when they said something, we did it. Miss Barbara, I'm sure you and your husband were that way with your boys. When we tell you to do something, do it. 
Do it. God's Word is the same way. He spoke it once. We are to do it. He spoke it once. We are to follow it. He spoke it once. We are to believe it. He said the commandment is pure. This word pure is clear. It's choice. It's chosen. There's no other option. There's no need to debate. There's no decision to be made. People have said it for years. God said it. That settles. It matters not if you and I believe it. God settled, said it. That settles it. To enlighten means to give light or to shine. Very quickly, you could be in darkness tonight. It could be brought on by sin. It could be brought on by burdens. It could be brought on by confusion. But God's Word, I want to be very careful here, because there's a lot of, lot of modern avenues to help with mental and emotional darkness. I understand that. The very first place I believe we ought to go is the Word of God. Very first place. It says, The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. If we'll allow it, God can drive away that darkness. Then last, encouraging in promise. The Word of God is encouraging in promise. Second Peter now. Second Peter chapter number one, verse number four. Now, y'all seem pretty enthusiastic the last time I asked, so I'm going to hope that you're going to answer me good. Y'all still with me tonight? Amen. Okay, boy, y'all did good. I'm such so blessed. Second Peter chapter number 1, verse number 4, Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. Now, you've already figured this out, but Christians are not above trouble. Christians can have just as much trouble as anybody else. Christians deal with, with divorce, with death, with debt, with dis- disgust, depression, any other D word you want to put in there. I mean, you just name it. Christians are our people. They're not exempt from trouble. Some would argue that we're, we're even more susceptible than most. But Christians tonight are different. The reason that Christians are different is because we have a promise. We have hope. We have faith. If a child of God runs headlong into trouble, our human side wants to take over and we want to try to figure it out. We want to, we want to fix it. But the whole time we are trying to fix it, and I've been there, the whole time we are trying to fix it in our flesh, it feels like there's an uneasiness in our spirit. And it's because the Spirit is trying its best to remind us to cast all our cares upon Him, for He careth for us. 
Our spirit is trying to remind us that we can trust in Him, that we can ask and receive, that we can believe His Word. Our spirit is at odds with our flesh. We try to figure out how to make this situation better instead of worse. Seems like everything is spun out of control and now we've got to step in at a last resort and try to fix it. But but I kind of wonder tonight if it might be better instead of a last resort, us trying to fix it, is as a first result, let God try to fix it. He says, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. The reason we're different is because we have great and precious promises. I'm not going to debate you, but I've been saved almost 30 years. And there's been a lot of disappointment in that 30 years. And I'm just being real. There's been a lot of times when I've prayed some prayers thinking and I'm, I'm not trying to qualify my statement here but in those prayers I thought I knew what I needed and God didn't answer it the way I thought he should have and so in my flesh I felt disappointed in God but then through time I found out that the thing that I was asking God for was not the thing that I needed. And the way that God answered it that did not line up with my prayer, He answered it in the way that would line up in His will. My hand up. Leah, last night I showed you a picture. Kurt, I showed you all a picture of of a girl that I, I used to like. That was as far as it went. That was 25 years ago. Probably more than that. Miss Sam, look here. Look look at me. I'm so glad. God said, "Uh uh-uh. I'm not even going to show you all the picture because that would be nasty. That would be dirty. But I'm going to tell you something. God knows what He's doing. And we, we laugh and we giggle about things like that. But how many prayers have we prayed asking God for something? And depending on God. God, you said ask and you shall receive. And we're wanting God to answer the, 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 the prayer the way we want. But He doesn't answer it. Or the answer is no. Or he answers it in a way that we didn't expect. And 25 years later, we look back and we could see, I've never been disappointed. How many promises, how many times has God made a promise that he hasn't fulfilled in his word, but in your life? Don't forget the little word whereby. At the beginning of verse number 4. Whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. The word whereby means through which or by which. 
So it doesn't make sense just, just reading verse number four. So we look at verse number three and, and we could actually go all the way to the bottom through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue through which we are given or are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises. You see, because of the glory, because of the virtue that God gave us in verse 3, we now have exceeding great and precious promises. You see, it's all from His Word. Every single bit of it is from God's Word. And He encourages us in this promise. I, I, I want to encourage you, but please, get in. Get in the Word of God. But by all means, let the Word of God get in you. 